0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest installment of the Cold Cases from Every State series. Tonight, we'll be talking about Indiana, and we begin with the Burger Chef Massacre. It begins on the night of November 17th, 1978. Four employees working at the Burger Chef in Speedway, Indiana, were going about their night, trying to close the store. It's believed sometime between 11 p.m. and 12 a.m., the four employees were taken to the store in an attempted robbery-turned-kidnapping. The four employees were Jane Freet, 20, Daniel Davis, 16, Mark Flemons, 16, and Ruth Allen Shelton, 18. The empty store wasn't discovered until midnight when an off-the-clock employee came by to check on the store. It was there they found the door open and the store empty. They raised the alarm. At the beginning of the investigation, the police didn't raise too much worry, seeing as the robber, or robbers, only made it out with a little over $500, or about $2,000 in 2018. Along with this, there were no signs of a struggle. If anything, they thought it was nothing more than a small embezzlement scheme thought up by the four employees there that night. The following morning, other Burger Chef employees were even tasked with cleaning up the store and opening up for the day. It was because of what took place the following days that caused serious concern. First, none of the original four employees showed up to the restaurant that morning. Later that day, Jane's Chevy Vega was discovered in town, partially locked. The police soon determined the four must have been abducted from the restaurant, possibly after one of the two men was recognized by an employee. Then, on Sunday afternoon, November 19th, the four employees were discovered in a wooded area northwest of Johnson County. All four had their lives taken. The following day, the investigation was more focused, and soon the police had a few eyewitnesses. The main eyewitness at first, a young man or a woman, stated they'd seen two suspicious-looking men outside the restaurant just moments before closing. They were both Caucasian and believed to be in their thirties. One was clean-shaven, and the other had a beard. Clay sculptures as well as composite sketches were released to aid in the investigation. Over the next few years, little to nothing is found. In early December, a man was held, but later cleared. The following year, in March, three men who had been involved in other fast food robberies were cleared. Robert Dale Stafford was cleared in March as well. Later in April, two more men were cleared. One of the most notable developments comes from an article written by Dan Lusiter, an investigative reporter who spoke with an inmate who hasn't been named. The inmate was arrested on theft and was facing a charge of habitual robbery. Using his phone call, he got in contact with Dan and claimed he had information on what took place at the Burger Chef in 1978. During the interview with the inmates, he was sent to name off two individuals, though one of them have been cleared. The other man, Donald Ray Forrester, was a well-known petty criminal in the area. During the interview, some very interesting pieces of evidence came up. Firstly, Donald claims that while he didn't take part in the kidnapping, or what would later happen to the four employees, he did help in getting rid of the evidence. This was backed up by a statement from Donald's ex-wife in 1979, when she stated that she'd helped Donald dispose of some of the evidence, most notably the shell casings that were in the woods near where the four employees were found. Still, to this day, though, Donald hasn't been formally charged in connection to the Burger Chef incident. He lost his life to cancer in 2006. Now, over 40 years later, police are no closer to solving the crime than they were when it first took place. Unless someone comes forward with a confession or the men who committed the robbery and kidnapping are identified beyond a reasonable doubt, the case will remain unsolved. Police released a photo of the knife blade that was found with the four employees in the woods in hope of jogging someone's memory, so I will do the same. These are the composite sketches of the two men as well. If you believe you have any information that can help convict someone in this case or help police look in a new direction, don't hesitate to contact them at 317-232-8248. That's 317 232 8248. Next, I need to talk about the Delphine girls. It would be impossible not to cover this case when talking about cult cases from Indiana. It was only a few years ago, February thirteenth, two 2017, that two young women, Liberty German and Abigail Williams, were discovered in a wooded area after going out on a short hike. Delphi, a town of only 3,000, was and still is shaken by the event. Many developments have come since the discovery, however, and it seems police are incredibly close to catching the man seen in this photo. The man seen here is the suspect, of course, but his face is hidden from view. Along with the photos, we have the chilling audio clip found on Liberty's phone that simply states, Down the hill. This gruff, demanding voice has yet to be connected to a face. Two composite sketches were released, this one being released in April of this year. Along with this sketch, a video taken from the girls' phone was also released that shows the man walking toward the two girls. Police note that the way in which he is walking is notable because someone could recognize it. Much like a fingerprint, the way someone carries themselves is very unique. With that said, he was walking across the train tracks, so it could have influenced his walking cycle. Along with this, people said they're still looking for tips on a car that was parked near an abandoned building on Hoosier Heartland Highway, the same day that Liberty and Abigail went missing. A press conference was held on April 22, 2019, where the new sketch was released. Along with this, Douglas Carter, the Indiana State Police Superintendent, spoke out for the girls and touched on the new evidence, like the video we spoke of before. He also gave a few words to the suspects. This is what he had to say. Speaking of, one man as of late has captured the attention of police and those looking into the case. A man named Charles Eldridge, a convicted sex offender. In January of this year, he was arrested during a sting operation where he believed he was speaking with a young girl online. In reality, it was an undercover officer. He was taken in and, while in custody, said he'd claimed to have engaged in lewd acts with another underage girl. This, along with his resemblance to the original sketch, has led many to believe he was the man seen in the video. Across his Facebook page, Charles shared numerous posts about the missing girls and sex offenders in the area. Some of these posts have mention of Liberty and Abigail. An article from January stated that while the FBI and local police are looking into it, it's far too early to call Charles a person of interest or a suspect. And I want to make it very clear here, I'm not calling him a suspect. I'm just presenting what is out there. Of course, the investigation is still very much active and police are actively taking tips pertaining to it. If you have any information you believe can help them reach a conclusion in the case of the Delphi Girls, do not hesitate to report it. You can call the tip line at 844-459-5786, the Indiana State Police at 800-382-7537, and finally, the Carroll County Sheriff's Office at 765-564-2413. If you'd like to stay anonymous, you can send an email with information to Abby and Libby Tip at CACOSHRF.com. Next we have the disappearance of Catherine Winters, the oldest cold case I've covered to date. With that said, I don't believe just because a case is over a century old, it shouldn't be covered. It begins in March of 1913, on the 20th. Catherine, who was nine at the time, left her home with plans of selling sewing needles door-to-door for a church fundraiser, but she's said to have never returned. Catherine was last seen on a street near the courthouse in Newcastle, Indiana, an enormous search effort was put forth by those in the community. Catherine's father, William, received numerous letters from individuals claiming to have had his daughter and demanding money for her safe return. The ransoms ranged anywhere from $25 to $50,000, which would be around 635 to $1.2 million today. All these letters were turned over to police, but none led them to new suspects. A year following Catherine's abduction, William was called out to Champaign, Illinois, where it was believed Catherine's body had been discovered. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case. The young woman who was discovered, however, was the child of a man named Nick Larry. With no suspects, the investigation turned to the parents, William and Bird. The two were investigated thoroughly after it was revealed that after Williams' first wife passed away, she left $3,000, around 76000 today, to Catherine and her brother. This, police believed, was enough motive for William and Catherine's stepmother to take Catherine's life. Their house was searched, and while some strange things were discovered, including a bloody undershirt that appeared to have been burned, they made bail as soon as they were able. A quick note, William Cooper, a friend of the family and possible love interest of Bird, was also on trial with the parents. After a 14-month trial, though, it was called off. Once they were out, William began sending out numerous letters to publications, asking them to continue running the story of Catherine's abduction. Many did, but nothing ever came of it and the charges against the couple were eventually dropped, due to lack of evidence. William would go on to pass away in 1940, never knowing what happened to his daughter, though his final words were, Now I'll find out what happened to Catherine. If he does know now, we still don't, and so all we can do is consider various theories. One that many have noted seemed to never have been pursued was that of a sexual predator. As a matter of fact, an eight-year-old girl named Helen Millican was abducted by a man who assaulted her and set her free only six days before Catherine went missing. The man was never found. Other theories state that William's wife, Bird, was having an affair with the man we spoke of before, William Cooper, and at some points, Catherine found the two together, leading Bird and Cooper to take her life and stage a disappearance. Some don't like this theory, but it is worth noting that William Winters was not home during the events that took place before Catherine's abduction. It was his wife, Bird, who'd contacted him at work, moments after she'd gone missing. The theory of Cooper having something to do with it seems to be backed up by a letter discovered just two years ago in November. It isn't dated nor signed, but Eldon Pitts, a journalist and a reporter, was the person to discover it. In the letter, the writer talks about a man named Al Sherry, who ran a railroad depot, the same one Cooper worked at. The letter claims Al said Cooper would often send boxes out of state to himself. It's believed Catherine could have been inside one of these crates. Reports from the time also stated that Cooper was an incredibly intimidating person and could have used this intimidation to keep those who caught on silent if you believe you have any information that can help police reach a conclusion in this case, contact the Indiana State Police at 317-232-8248. Finally, I want to touch on the case of Mayoma Writings. The case of Mayoma Writings is by far one of the most well-known cases out of Indiana. Mayoma was only 32 in 1943 when she had her life taken in room 729 at the Claypool Hotel in Indianapolis. She was found by the housekeeper the morning of August 28th when she came by to change the sheets. This was an incredibly large case for the police at the time, as Mayoma had become somewhat of a celebrity in the World War. She was stationed at Camp Atterbury, working as a physical therapist in the Women's Army Corps. The investigation began immediately, and soon, numerous suspects were interviewed. It began with Mayoma leaving Camp Atterbury to get ready for a date scheduled around 6 or 6.30 p.m. with Corporal Emanuel Fisher. Mayoma made it to Indianapolis, made a purchase at a liquor store at 4.45 p.m., checked into her room at 5 or 5.15 p.m., and at 5.30, she made her first call to room service. The bellboy delivered the soda she'd ordered and only a few minutes later, she called another bellboy up, Robert Wolfington, to deliver ice. This was at 6.15pm. It's noted that Robert said he noticed a woman with dark hair wearing all black in the room with Mayoma, but she was never identified. Meanwhile, Emmanuel was running late, and so he called Mayoma's room at 630 30. No one answered. Assuming she'd flaked or was running late, he simply found someone else to spend the night with. From what I understand, him and Mayoma were not in any kind of committed relationship. The bellboy and the unidentified woman sent to be in Mayoma's room were the last two people to see her alive. As we said, the housekeeper discovered her the following morning at 8 a.m., Notably, some sources say that Mayoma was found undressed from the waist down, while others say she was dressed. I believe there are two things getting mixed up here. Another article I read claimed the housekeeper did find her half undressed, but covered her bottom half out of respect. Either way, Mayoma had her life taken, and police were steadily investigating various suspects. First, though, they needed motive, and they decided on robbery at the time. Soon, they also said to believe that the crime was committed by more than one person, and the bellboy, Robert Wolfington, was one of the main suspects for some time. In an article written just a few days after Mayoma was found, quote, Camp Atterbury WAC said today they were entertaining a theory the crime was committed by more than one person in a moment of blind fury. They did not elaborate. Lt. Noel, one of the city detectives, said authorities were intensifying their search for a woman in black, whom a bellboy said he saw in Corporal Riding's room a short time before she was slain Saturday night. As we've said, though, this woman was never found and so never identified. If she does play a part in the crime, it's unknown. That was when the investigation turned to the bellboy, Robert. Again, from the article... Robert Wolfington, 22, another bellboy of the hotel questioned yesterday, produced some discrepancies in his account of his actions in the hours surrounding the slaying. Lieutenant Jones, the lead investigator, did note that he was cooperative and straightforward, however. With that said, there was one more bit of evidence regarding Robert that is quite strange. An 18-year-old boy turned over a letter he'd discovered on a street in Indianapolis. Written in blue pencil, the note read, Bob, Maoma Redding, returning. will be at hotel at the 28th. Make an early visit. Don't worry. The note wasn't signed. Despite the chilling message, it was read off as nothing more than a cruel joke. As far as Robert Wolfington, I cannot find any other mention of him past the 2nd of September, 1943, in regards to the case. Another man, Robert de Armand, a cook in the hotel, was also arrested in connection to the crime. He had previous sexual assault charges and was held on the charge of vagrancy while being questioned. Both of the men, de Armand and Wolfington, were released from custody, however, and the focus turned to the mysterious woman in black and the window leading out to the fire escape. Mayoma's room was on the 7th floor, and the screen had been pushed out with such force, it splintered the wood frame of the window. This, along with her being found nude from the waist down, led police to believe it had to have been a man who committed the crime. The woman in black could have been an accomplice, though. The leading theory as of late is Mayona knew the person or persons who took her life. The hotel door locks from the inside when it's closed, and could have only been opened by someone with a master key, or someone she allowed in the room. The room seemed to have been staged to look like a robbery gone wrong, and the way Mayona was found, it's believed the person who took her life wanted the police to believe that she'd taken her own life. Several people came forward claiming to have been the person who took her life, and claimed that they knew the woman in black, but all were dismissed as many of them were found to be mentally unstable. As of now, the case of Myona Writings is still cold. Anyone with information they believe can help is asked to contact the authorities immediately at 317-232-8248. I want to take a second to say thank you to all of my $10 patrons and my most recent channel members. Everyone you see on screen now is supporting the channel monthly, and I greatly, greatly appreciate that, given how iffy YouTube is about monetizing true crime content. If you want to support the channel but don't want to be locked into a monthly subscription, we just dropped some new Halloween merchandise. Go down in the description below if this looks like something that you'd like to nab. It'll only be available for a short amount of time, so grab it while you can. Thank you again, everyone, for your continued support. I appreciate it. And don't forget to theorize and get a discussion going in the comments section below. Thanks again, everyone, for watching and listening. And of course, stay safe out there.